All right, take your Bibles tonight, please, and join me in Philippians chapter 4 as we continue our series through the letter to the Philippian believers. Philippians chapter 4, if you'll look with me, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Euodius and I and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. So we didn't get far last week because we had to do the annual financial meeting, which I hate, but we have to do annual housekeeping. Amen. And so we didn't get very far. We only touched on verse 1, and we finished up quickly to get to that. But we see, just as a reminder in verse 1, Paul's affection for these Philippian believers. Twice he calls them his dearly beloved, and he said they were longed for. And can I tell you that this is what makes a church family great. When we have love one for another. When we long to be assembled together. And we long to be together because we consider each other to be our dearly beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. And I hope you have those friendships in church. I've said many times, your closest friends ought to be here in church. Not that you can't have other friends, okay? Jesus said in John 13, verses 34 and 35, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. He was pretty clear. Three times right there, have love one for another. And Paul, he calls these believers his joy and crown. More valuable to him than earthly riches was souls that he had impacted for Christ. And that ought to be our mindset as well. We ought to set our affections on things above and not on the earth. We ought to be going after souls. We ought to love people. We ought to be trying to win them to the Lord and give them the gospel. And we talked about how these believers were Paul's proof in the ministry. They were precious stones set in a crown. And the challenge last week was, will you have any proofs when you stand before Christ at the judgment seat? Will you have any proofs that you lived for Him? It's a humbling thought. It is going to take labor, but we need to do the work necessary and value souls. Let's move on to verse 2 tonight. I beseech you, Odious, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. So when we started this study in Philippians, I mentioned how this is a church who had their act together. We find two unique things when Paul opens this letter in chapter 1. Number one, Paul never magnifies his office as an apostle. He does that in all his other letters. 
Secondly, he addresses the bishops and the deacons. So this is a church, evidently, that was functioning properly. They had right leadership in place. And because Paul doesn't magnify his office as an apostle, he's not going to have to rebuke them doctrinally like we see in some other letters. And so we can assume that this church is doing good all around. Probably they're thinking, man, we're doing pretty good. And I can tell you that these two things go hand in hand. Good leadership and good doctrine. They go together. Amen. And and overall, when Paul's writing this letter, he's really just encouraging them to stay with it. They were in the face of persecution and tribulation. Remember, this church was planted in, in Philippi, which was the chief city in Macedonia. Philippi was a miniature Rome. And all the same persecutions you'd have in Rome, you're going to have in Philippi. And so they hated Christians in Philippi. But yet here they are. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And we'll even see later on in this chapter that they're even missions-minded. And so I've said before, but I'm going to continue to say this. The easiest way for a church to fall is from within. This is a church that had every right to collapse, if you will, from pressure on the outside. I shouldn't say every right. But they had plenty of reasons that they could have collapsed from the outside. And yet, they're still strong. And when we think about churches and division and infighting, closing their doors and all these things, it happens from within. So we've got to be very careful. When we collectively get our eyes off of Christ and we start to look at each other, we're going to get divisive because none of us are perfect. 2 Corinthians 10.12 For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Don't look at other people and compare. It's Satan's desire to divide and conquer. Because Jesus made it clear that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And we must not be ignorant of Satan's devices or of his subtlety and how he works. And more churches are weakened and splintered from within than from without. And more churches are going to fall from within than from without. And I think it's possible for us to make the case that every church that closes its doors does so because they failed from within. How can you make that statement? Because Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Even if a church is driven underground, that's one thing. That's fine. Are they still a church? So why are churches closing? There's problems internally. Almost every once great church which has dwindled or closed their doors has done so as a result of something that started small. But it festered. And it grew out of control. And it's usually from some small disagreement that's left unchecked. It turned into factions and camps. And it caused splits. 
I think it was David Jeremiah who said, if you will take care of the splinters, then you won't have to take care of the splits. Now, Paul understood this principle, so we find him addressing the one divisive issue that he's aware of within this church. He didn't have to rebuke a whole lot, but this is the one thing that he does bring up and he says needs to be dealt with. And though Philippi was a more difficult place to be a Christian by those from without, Paul knew that the one thing that would take this church down in a hurry would be divisions and infightings. And it typically begins with something like we see here in verse 2, where there are two people within one fold that just can't seem to get on the same mind. The same mind in the Lord. Servants in the same body but at odds with one another. Can't get along. We can never overstate the importance of being unified. We recently saw in our series through the book of Acts on Sunday nights how when they were unified, they were of one accord, that's when God decided to baptize them with the Holy Ghost. There is something to be said for unity. So once again, Paul here, he's mentioning for them to be unified. He said in chapter 1 and verse 27, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then in chapter 2 and verse 2, he stated, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. And then in chapter 3 and verse 16, he said, Let us mind the same thing. And now here in chapter 4, in verse 2, he says, Be of the same mind in the Lord. All four chapters, Paul said, you need to be unified. You need to be like-minded in the Lord. You need to be on the same page. If you're going to be if you're going to be blessed of God as a church, and if you're going to overcome the persecutions and the tribulations that you live, you cannot allow infighting to take place. Paul had learned of a disagreement within this body of believers. And he must have been aware of a specific issue because he calls these two out by name. Euodius and Syntyche. These are two women in this church who could not get on the same page. Why were they in disagreement with each other? Because they're more interested in themselves than they are in the Lord. I mentioned earlier already, when we get focused on each other instead of the Lord, we're heading for divisions. And they're too busy looking at each other, arguing about it. And it's like Paul here, he's attempting to direct their attention back to the Lord. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Both of you, both of you two need to get your mind on the Lord, get your act together, and you won't have this problem. As Christians, the object of our affection is to be Christ, not ourselves. When we as a body of believers love Christ more than ourselves and even more than each other, then our church will be on solid footing. Now, what do we know about Euodius and Syntyche? We're never told what the problem is. Amen. So we don't know anything definitively except that these were two women who couldn't get along with each other. And though we aren't told much, there are some things I believe we can infer. Since they are called out like this, I think we can assume 
They were in some form of leadership within this church, but within biblical boundaries, of course, ministering to other women and children. And for the record, I have found it a blessing to have women of prominence in the church. Amen. It has been a great help to me in counseling women because no man has ever yet mastered the female psyche. And it's good to hear both points of view, a man and a woman, in certain family issues. Not to mention there are uniquely female issues where I would prefer a woman to handle it. Somebody say amen right there. And then there's motherly issues that may have more weight coming from another mother. It's going to get tense here in a minute, so you might as well just loosen up, okay? (laughs) Paul wrote to Timothy how the aged women are to teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So a pastor can greatly benefit from women being a godly help within a church body. So there's definitely a place within the church structure for women in positions of leadership. Women had a prominent place in the founding of this church in Philippi. Remember that Lydia was the first convert. And after Paul and Silas were released from prison, she opened up their house to them and used her home to house missionaries, if you will. But still, the Bible is clear on the woman's role within a local church. Though women are more than capable, though women know their Bible, and many wives know their Bibles far better than their own husbands, we are still to structure our churches in a manner where women are not allowed to usurp their authority over the man. 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, the Bible says, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Well, if that's true, then what you're saying, preacher, is all the female pastors are wrong. I'm not saying that. God's Word is. (laughs) And on the authority of God's Word, I can say without apology, all female pastors are out of God's will. Let God be true, but every man a liar. Do we believe the Word of God or not? So while these two women are likely of some position of importance within the church in Philippi, they would not have been exercising their influence outside of God's boundary, or you can bet Paul would have addressed it because he did so in other churches. This is what he said to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and 35. Let your women keep silence in the churches. For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience. As also saith the law, and if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. Now, I'm not being rude, okay? But I can tell you that it has been my experience as pastor, most of the infighting in in churches happens with women. It's really uncanny. And it may just seem this way because women tend to hang on to problems longer than men do. I told you it was going to get tense. Now look, I warned you guys, this is lesson number 40. I warned you on lesson number 18, this night was coming. The night is tonight. (laughs) You see, men typically get mad at each other, go out to the back alley and duke it out, come back in, sit down together and have another drink together like nothing ever happened. 
Sweet tea, of course. <laughs> Men are, mo- are much more likely to agree to disagree and move on. And for the most part, men get along pretty well. Men just listen to their differences and then they go home and tell their wife, that guy's whack. (laughs) But I'm still going fishing with him tomorrow. (laughs) Women, on the other hand, when they have an issue with another woman, it's manifested all kind of ways. And then all of a sudden, I don't want to be around this woman. And it's usually manifested with a lot of nonverbal body language. There's the rolling of the eyes when you see them approaching. The huffs and the puffs. The looking, looking her up and down. Start shaking their head and making those clicking noises. Sometimes they'll just totally avoid you and walk the other way. Sometimes they'll completely shun you. And sometimes it becomes an argument. With men, we chew each other out and we're good. But all the women who have chewed me out and given me what for, they have left this church in a very unscriptural way. For some reason, there's a severe resistance to reconciliation. So like it or lump it, there's a reason for terms like drama queen, (coughs) drama mama. You never heard that? (laughs) Nobody's ever heard drama mama? Show of hands. Boom, I rest my case. Drama queen, you've heard that. There's a reason why there's certain clothing items that get in a bunch. (laughs) Or in a wad. (laughs) Now, these things show up at young ages. You can have two girls in a room with no issue. But you had a third girl, and now there's drama. These two always seem to get along, but when this one enters, now there's drama. And here's what I've learned. You can mix and match the people, but you end up with the same results. If you work with children in the ministry long enough, you'll know this is true. Boys, for the most part, they get along. Boys, for the most part, I've got three boys and one daughter. Boys, for the most part, beat each other up at home, but outside of the home, they're, they're usually pretty nice to everybody. So work with children in the ministry. You'll find girls bring along a lot of drama. I was extremely happy when Sydney got married and was out of the teen group. <laughs> but here's the problem. It usually doesn't end in adulthood. Preacher, you sound like you're against women. No, in fact, I'm pro-woman. I married one. That's how much I like women, and, and I've stayed with her for 25 years through all the drama. You already said amen. You already said amen. I'm just giving you some stuff from my experience, okay? But just in case some of you want to turn this into drama tonight, I, these are not rules. These are observations. Men have issues too. Paul and Barnabas' contention was so sharp, they split company. I would think they reconciled later on, because later on Paul calls for John Mark in 2 Timothy. But there's women here. You're still harboring bad feelings. 
Yeah, you might say hello and you might have your little conversations, but in your heart, you're still bitter. A relationship that was once healthy is now in shambles because neither one will take the high road and make it right. And here's the deal, male or female. If you're holding on to issues against another person, if you're becoming bitter, you are impacting the spirit of this church. The great moves of God are only when there's unity. When there is disunity, there's all sorts of problems. The wrong kind of cliques begin to develop. I see no problem with cliques, so long as they revolve around, you know, common interests and are not exclusive. It's okay if the hunting guys talk about what they took in hunting. Amen. It's okay if the computer guys are like, (laughs) you know. I'm I'm only teasing. Um, Because who am I calling as soon as the computer goes bad? (laughs) That, That kind of stuff's okay. I think we understand that kind of thing. But there's a great problem when this little clique develops over here because they're against this person over here. Now, I've been working hard at putting together my annual State of the Church address for Sunday night. I have reviewed every service. And I have been moved to tears every time I watch footage from our July 18th p.m. service when we all returned from Silver State Youth Camp. And to see the powerful move of God we saw that night. I wish everybody could have stayed for the whole four hours. The first time I've been in a church service that long. But man, was it a sweet spirit. I think I'll show some footage at the very end of that and how people were just hugging each other, getting things right. And it was such a sweet time of unity. That would not have happened if we were being resentful and hanging on to things. Be here Sunday night. For those who were able to be here for that entire service, you know God settled in. And it happened because our teens got a hold of God at camp. I'll save some of that for Sunday night. People all over were being kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. And it was so awesome because we were all unified. And I wish to God it would be like that at all times. Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life evermore. Life forevermore. Well, as Paul's writing this letter, he knew if this situation between these two ladies within this Philippian church were allowed to continue unchecked, it could cause severe damage to this church that held a very special place in his heart. I want you to take notice of the wording here at the beginning of verse 2. Notice how Paul beseeches both of these people. He's not placing the blame on one over the other. 
He's inviting them both to do the right thing. And we can learn that we will, ad- we will address issues that are near and dear to our heart. If Christian unity is near and dear to our hearts, then we will address those issues that are dividing us. With the right spirit, of course. Don't just do like some do. Well, we've forgiven you. And then just move on. While the other party's asking, can we please talk about this? We've forgiven you. We're good. I don't know. Does the other party want to talk about it? Then you owe them that conversation. Because they need to get closure. Everybody deals with hurts differently. And you might be able to just brush it off and move on. But somebody else may be saying, I really just need to sit down and talk with you. One of my greatest hurts came when I repeatedly asked to sit down with somebody. A couple had said some things about me. And I repeatedly asked and they refused every single time. We've forgiven you. I still don't even know what I need to forgive you. But we've forgiven you. I want to talk with you. Can we just sit down and talk? No, I'm not interested. How sad. And to this day, I still haven't heard a single word. You know what that showed me? It showed me I was not near and dear to their heart like I thought. And it showed me that Christian unity was not near and dear to their heart like they thought. Listen, whether you think there's a problem or not, or whether you think it's still a problem or not, if someone needs to talk it out, then allow that process to take place. Both sides need that. Matthew 18, 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that... Thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. So think about just how dangerous it is to prevent reconciliation. According to what Jesus said there, it affects us being able to offer our gifts in church. Now, I have peace in every situation. I've done everything I can. So eventually you just can't do anymore. It's sad, but that's how it gets sometimes. But if someone comes to you and they say they have a problem, listen to them. Try to remember how it may have impacted them. And then, if anything, remember this. It impacts the church as a body. And so Paul, he beseeches both of them. He invites both of them to work this out. And to be unified in the Lord. And then in verse 3, he calls on some within the church to help these women. It says, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, who Paul's true yoke fellow is here, we are not told. Some suppose it was Epaphroditus. He was the man that would have carried this epistle. Paul, remember, he's under house arrest in Rome, writing his 
what we call the prison epistles, and he sent those out. And Epaphroditus would have carried this back because he had brought a gift to Paul from this church. We'll see later on. And so some think that this is Epaphroditus, and Paul does say of Epaphroditus in Philippians 2.25 that he is his brother, his companion in labor, and his fellow soldier. Regardless of who it is, Paul didn't want to see these ladies' relationship fall apart. And so he calls on his yoke fellow to help in this matter. And Jesus said, if we go alone to somebody and we have a fault, I just read it to you, if we go alone to that person and they listen, we we want our brother, but if they don't listen, he continued his instruction, if somebody doesn't want to deal with it privately, Jesus said in Matthew 18, 16, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Now, we're not given enough information here to know for certain, but it could be that this was a problem between these two that has gone on long enough. And so perhaps that's why Paul is placing all this emphasis here upon these two folks. And in this we learn that even a problem between two is an issue for the entire church. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to come to church and sit over here, and the one you're mad at is going to sit over here, and you're going to say, well, we're just not talking. You have a bad spirit between each other, and you're affecting the church. And I don't want to be guilty, and this is why I work so hard at reconciliation with everybody, because I don't want to be the one that's hindering revival in this church. We see these two ladies were laborers with Paul in the gospel. And sometimes we get it in our heads that leadership should never have issues. But sometimes those in positions of leadership are more targeted than others. Because Satan knows you go after the leaders. And if that doesn't work, he works his way down. And so we need to understand tonight that even those who help need help. Preacher, I don't think you should just take a trip when you feel like you need to. Who's going to help the pastor? Well, we're not going to go there. Now, there appears to be a general call to unity within this church uh, surrounding this issue because Paul goes on to speak of his fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. And so unity is key. Let me read you some passages in closing. Romans 12, 16 through 18. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. 1 Corinthians 1.10 Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind, and in the same judgment. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 through 13. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even also 
even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. The Bible is full of verses about unity. Amen? And if we want to see God do great things in Liberty Baptist Tabernacle, we have got to be unified and put aside all the petty differences, all the silly infighting. So let's determine to be unified. I know there's going to be personality differences. Amen. I'm not saying we're all going to have Thanksgiving dinner together all the time. I get it. I know some people's personalities just don't mesh. I think we all understand what I'm trying to say there. You will be closer to some than others. But if you happen to be at odds with somebody tonight, you need to work at getting that right for the sake of our church. Uh, There's personal reasons too, but we don't have time to get into it now. But don't grow bitter. We can all be of the same mind in the Lord. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. Let's pray.